and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. Today's topic, red-eyed winged humanoids. That's correct, red-eyed winged humanoids. Now this here article comes to us from ufoclearinghouse.wordpress.com. Came out on October 5th, 2020 by Scorpion King 601. And the title says, Witness has close proximity encounter with winged humanoid at Chicago O'Hare. It has a date listed of reporting as October 3rd, 2020. The date of the sighting is September 24th, 2020. And the time at 11 p.m. Location, O'Hare International Airport. Witness 1, source UFO clearinghouse, and current status under investigation. I have to tell you, I really like the way they have their data organized here. I just wish that every single encounter reported would start off with just that. When it was reported, the time it was reported, where it was, and if possible, the witness. It says, I just left work at the USPS sorting facility at O'Hare Airport at about 11 p.m. on Thursday, the 24th of September, and was walking out to my car when I saw something standing at the far end of the parking lot where I usually park. At first, I thought it was a very tall person with a long coat. As I got closer to my car, I unlocked my car, which caused my headlights to come on. My headlights hit the person standing about 20 to 25 feet from my car, causing it to turn and look right at me. I saw that this was not some person, but some red-eyed and what appeared to be a coat was, an, was actually wings, which had spread out as it turned to look at me. You can imagine this guy, he's walking to his car, 11 o'clock at night, he thinks he sees a person standing there near his car. And when he gets to looking a little bit closer, he notices it's not a person at all. It's, it's a rather tall-looking humanoid with piercing red eyes and wings. And it actually turns around and extends those wings out as it looks at this guy. Now, that's, that's threatening to me. He says, at first I thought it was some kind of a very, very large bird. But I've never seen any bird that stood almost seven foot tall. I'm five foot four. And this thing looked taller than me by at least two feet. This thing then started making some type of chirping sound. Almost a half a chirp and a half a click, like someone was clicking their tongue, but much faster. It then made some type of screeching sound and took off running toward me. It got to within ten feet of me and took off into the air and flew above me. I was screaming hysterically as I crouched down behind the car's open door and I dove into my car head first. I was in a near panic as I tried to start the car, close and lock the doors, and turn on my interior lights. I started my car and took off out of the parking lot and flew down the road till I hit the main road. I got home and told my husband, who also works at the same facility, and he was the one who told me about the sighting of this thing. I was scared and hope I never see this thing again. This thing is roaming around the area, scaring people half to death. I hope the airport people decide to do something about this thing someday. And then it says, investigators notes, as investigator with UFOCH has reached out to the witness and is awaiting a response, 
Once additional information is obtained, it will be posted to the UFO Clearinghouse website within 24 to 48 hours. Field investigation is pending. The investigation is still in preliminary stages and information will be posted as it is made available. Well, that's an interesting story. I will say that for them. I can imagine this lady's experience coming outside that parking lot and seeing this large winged humanoid creature as it takes off on a dead run right for her and it flies over her head. I'm not sure how far she would get with O'Hara reporting that incident. You know, they had that UFO incident there several years ago that pretty much parked itself over the airport, and uh, nothing got done about that. Now, there's another article I found, kind of along the same lines, actually, which is weird. And this is from Rockford, Illinois, and, you know, Rockford's not that far from Chicago, and it's on the Singular14.com website. Now, it says, Rockford resident reports a sighting of giant, shapeless black thing with two very large red eyes. Now, this was posted October 6, 2020. It says, uh, and by Emily Wayland, I think it says, Singular 14 Society. 21-year-old Rockford resident Jonathan Lane contacted the Singular 14 Society's lead investigator, Tobias Wayland, last week to report a sighting of what Lane would later describe as a giant, shapeless black thing with two very large red eyes. According to Lane, the sighting took place between 10.20 and 10.30 p.m. on August night in 2016, sometime before school had started that year. So we're looking at just over four, four years ago. It says, it was very late at night. My mother works nights because she's a nurse. So I walk her to her car every night. I walked her out to her car and she got in it and left. Then as I'm walking up to the house, I hear a noise that's like screeching brakes or something. And I instantly look up. There's a big tree in our yard and I see this giant shapeless black thing. And it has two very large red eyes. As soon as I made eye contact with it, it made that sound again. Instantly, it fills me with fear and intimidation, and I run in the house and start freaking out. The sound was so weird, I can still hear it clearly in my head, like a large bird's caw. Reminds me of the dinosaurs from Jurassic Park, like the, like the Velociraptors. The next day or so, when it was light, I went outside and I looked where the ranch was and tried to see where I'd seen the top of it and where the blackness was compared to the tree. It was pretty substantial. It would have to be nine feet tall. It was large. It was a large space. A wingspan just faded into the darkness around it. It was shapeless, but where the eyes were, I did see a little notch above its head where I could see sky. What really bothered me was the red eyes and how far apart they were. It showed just how large it was. Like many witnesses, Lane was met with ridicule when he initially shared his story and kept it quiet for years afterwards, at least until he saw the small-town monsters documentary, documentary terror in the skies. My father was there, and I told him about it, and he started laughing and making fun of me, he explained. So since then, I've just kept my experience very private. Although I told my sister about it once, I've just never really forgotten about it. I never knew what it was. I saw the documentary Terror in the Skies and it was just mind-blowing to see 
you guys talk about the stuff like that. I just wanted to reach out somehow. And there's a picture here, and they've kind of got a, a tree. I'll be honest with you, the tree is kind of a spindly tree. I don't, you know, I couldn't imagine that something that weighed a couple hundred pounds could be sitting in there. It's almost like this thing was, um, I don't know what the word is, ethereal, I guess. I mean, it's almost like a ghost type thing. He sees this giant, black, almost demonic, non-human entity with wings and red eyes. But they have a picture here on with the article. I posted the articles at ufowarning.com. You can go there and take a look at them. But I like the fact that they he sent a picture of the house in and the tree next to it. And then he kind of has it marked here in the picture about how big he thinks this thing was that he saw. The photo taken by Lane showing the area of the sighting and the being's approximate height. Pretty good sized critter. It says, uh, approximately a year after his sighting of the red-eyed entity, Lane said he saw an unidentified flying object in the same area. I was driving home with a friend of mine from work, and we were almost to my house. We were in the same area as the winged entity sighting. There are a lot of trees, and there's only a little section of the sky that's open right by my house, and that's where the big tree is where the previous incident happened. It was the same part of the sky. I'm not claiming it was anything specific, but I saw a very prominent UFO. Very large, very prominent. I had my friend stop the car, and we got out. I just don't know what it was. It was clear enough where I could see people, like windows. It was very scary. My friend said she, my friend, she's a bit younger than me, she got very scared, so we had to leave. Well, I can tell you, this does sound like they were pretty close to something. I mean, if she says that this craft, she could see windows in this craft, and that she could see what looked like people inside, or he, rather. That tells me that was a pretty close encounter. Whatever that was, it was not normal. It was shaped like a pear. It had a hundred windows all over it. It was lit up. It was very weird how it was lit up. The whole thing was illuminated, but it had lines of light, almost like waves of light going through it. It's hard to explain. It's almost It almost looked like it had white light stripes through it, but it was an undulating movement. The very top of it was black, and the very bottom of it was black, but the center was illuminated. I could see where it was being lit up, and it was like a miniature squares making up the whole object. Well, this these this UFO, a lot of these things, they almost sound like uh, some kind of a 3D image is being created by artificial intelligence. You know, that whatever's making these things, whatever's creating these images, has an idea of what a human would perceive as normal but they don't know how exactly to put these things together so that they make sense to the human mind. So a lot of times you end up with these objects that are shaped in such a way that a person just can't quite um, can't quite explain it. And hence the shape-shifting UFOs. And just like I've talked about my own experience. And I think sometimes we see these things and they're so strange at first that we don't really realize what's going on. And these kind of cases, we're not actually seeing an object but we're witnessing a phenomena as if this image is being created before our eyes and this kind of also goes back to this um, UFO um, observer effect and you see this person here they had an encounter with this 
entity, apparently, this red-eyed winged entity, just like the one we talked about at O'Hare. And the concerning part for me is that this thing was right near this person's house. It's really kind of invaded their space. You wonder what's happened uh, before that, that this thing would feel so comfortable just getting right next to this guy's house. What's been going on there would make this type of entity feel okay being there because it's not the normal state of affairs and then he goes on and says how they witnessed this ufo they stopped and got out of the car that's something that i would not personally recommend because um, you just don't know what you're getting into you don't know what you're looking at and i think sometimes if these things are appearing to people the very act of stopping and looking up at this thing like a little child looking up to a parent to be picked up could be a very bad idea. It could send out the signal that you are um, giving your consent. This reminds me of what happened with the Travis Walton case. He's the only one to get out of the car and to walk toward the UFO. And he's the only one to end up abducted, strapped down to a table. So this is something I think that, well, some people might just laugh and say the whole thing's crazy. It's just made up. Myself... If you're past the step where you say, well, I believe in UFOs, or I think something's going on here, I recognize this phenomena. It's kind of like playing outside in the rain in the middle of a lightning storm. You probably don't want to walk over to hang on to a telephone pole. Whether these things are good, evil, or indifferent, it's something that big where you don't have a full understanding of what you're dealing with, and the common sense thing to do is to exercise some caution. Stay on the safe side. Now he goes on and says... Both of those things, both of those things, very much bothered me. We have a huge picture window in our living room, and it's a huge pet peeve of mine to make sure those curtains are closed, overlapping, so nothing shows at night. I had a room in the corner of the house nearby that tree, and eventually I had to move rooms. He added that despite his fear of doing so, it felt refreshing to express his experience to someone. And that his main motivation for sharing was to add credibility and make it easier for other people to come forward. Lane isn't the first witness to report seeing anonymous aerial phenomena in the same spot as a strange winged creature. The Singular 14 Society has been contacted by at least two other witnesses who have reported similar experiences. Paula, who said her 2016 sighting of a, hul of a hulking winged uh, creature in Wakanda, Illinois, was preceded by her sighting of a strange beam of light two years prior, and Gerald, whose encounter with a weird winged creature near Braidwood, Illinois, 1957, was followed by a UFO sighting while on guard duty at a U.S. Army station at Nake Hercules Missile Site in Northfield, Illinois, in 1963. Several other anonymous sightings have also been reported to the sites, Phantom and Monsters and UFO Clearinghouse. This report constitutes the latest news in a string of Mothman sightings from within a few hundred mile radius surrounding Lake Michigan, including every state bordering the Great Lakes. These sightings essentially began in the spring of 2017, but more historical accounts are being reported as more people become aware of the phenomena. They generally take place in the evening or at night, often in or near a park or natural area, and around water. Witnesses consistently describe a large gray or black bat or bird-like creature, although in a small number of cases the creature was described as insect-like, something glowing 
or reflective red, yellow, green, or orange eyes, and humanoid features such as arms and legs and off are often reported. Some witnesses have reported feeling intense fear, an aura of evil emanating from the creatures they encountered. Many of the sightings are also of something seen only briefly or are described as a flying creature with few details, which leaves open the possibility that a misidentified large bird such as a heron or crane or some type of anonymous avian species could explain some, although certainly not all of the encounters. Well, I actually think you're probably stretching there because, I mean, if you're talking about a heron or a crane or something, most likely these things are going to be near like can't imagine they're going to be in the middle of a parking lot at O'Hare Airport or hanging out in a tree uh, three inches from somebody's house. All in all, both these cases are really strange, really interesting. You can find quite a few cases like this online if you look around for them. I mean, they're out there. And it's just one more aspect of the paranormal that I think deserves to be looked at. Especially in light of comments by people like Tom DeLong who have said that they've seen top secret stuff that made them so upset they couldn't sleep for three days. Now, speaking of Tom DeLong, I have a couple of links at the website ufowarning.com. And uh, was it Stan Greenwald from blackball.com last week uh, did an excellent article on the New York Times uh, playing fast and loose with the facts. And he got a hold of like another 10,000 pages of FOIA documents. And what he was able to... Um, what he was able to discern from that was that uh, recently the Tom DeLong and Louis Elizondo, you know, they have this unidentified program on air. And what Greenwald found out was in one episode, the uh, they have a uh, Lieutenant Graves. I think he was an air, he was an air a Navy pilot, and he talks about an encounter he had. And in the documentary, he talks about the encounter being, I believe, it was like the end of 2014. Or that's what it's, that's what it's uh, portrayed as. And then Greenwald goes and finds out that no, it was actually 2013. And then he points out a couple other things that were just not done correctly. It's just uh, shoddy journalism, actually. And he more or less makes a point that if we're going to report on these UFO incidents, you know, the, the at the very least, we have to get the dates correct. And we can't just if you're going to be out there putting yourself out there as a as a reputable publisher, then you need to at least get uh, your stuff sourced, and you need to get the dates and the places uh, established. And they didn't do that. And anyway, it's a, it's a not a super long article, but but there's so much good stuff that comes out of the black vault. I just would highly recommend that if you have any kind of interest in the stuff, to go to ufowarning.com and look at that article. And then there's another article on there uh, from a few months ago. And it's an interview with George Knapp and, and Elizondo, if you can call it that. And I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but I'll just say it was a super softball. And Louie basically goes into this whole diatribe about how he doesn't want to really associate with people in the UFO community because if they tell him something or they relay a story to him, you know, it may... 
it may just cloud his judgment on something he already knows about. In other words, he knows everything. He doesn't need to hear any of your experiences or any of your opinions on stuff. I took it as very condescending. And uh, I still, I get messages from listeners on a pretty regular basis and comments that they still somehow think that uh, To the Academy of the Stars is, is in this, it's almost like it's almost like an anti-QAnon movement. They're going to release the data. They're going to give us disclosure. And, you know, these are really good people. They're here to help us, and you shouldn't be so hard on Tom. And, uh, yeah, I also got a direct message from a listener, which I appreciate the messages and stuff. I'm not, I'm not being down on anybody. But, you know, I've raised the subject multiple times, and I even left a comment on Greenwald's. Uh, he tweeted about this upcoming article. And, and the UFO, the three uh, UFO fighter pilot cockpit videos released by to the Academy of Stars, and I commented to him there, and I never got a response back. I, a couple people noticed it, but we still, no one knows how the videos got from the aircraft carriers to the New York Times. This chain of custody, this is government property, and you know. And I posted some articles that, that, that cover this on the website, ufowarning.com. But Susan Gal, the Defense Department spokesman, she didn't address it. They said, oh, we've, uncla- we've declassified this stuff. Well, if, you, if it wasn't classified in the beginning, then why did you have to declassify it? And if those videos were classified, then why wasn't there some explanation of why this classified material went from a couple, you know, two different aircraft carriers to the New York Times to to the Academy of Stars. Now, somebody somebody uh, messaged me or left the comment, and they said, oh, well, Christopher Mellon of To the Academy of Stars, he's the one that released that. Everybody knows that. Well, I didn't know it. And I asked the person for a link, and they, and they gave me another message, and they just said, oh, it's all over the place. Well, I looked, I couldn't find any, I could not find a single source that specifically said Christopher Mellon was the one that released the three cockpit videos from the aircraft carriers, from the Navy, from the DOD, to the New York Times. Now, there's some insinuation of that. I've never, I don't, I was told, oh, he admitted this. Well, I haven't found anything of him admitting this. If anybody out there has video of Christopher Mellon, former assistant secretary at the DOD, current to the Academy of Stars employee, partner, whatever. If you have video of him admitting that he moved those classified videos without permission, or with permission, I don't care. If you have video of him admitting that, please, by all means, send me a link. You can do it on Twitter. Because I don't see it anywhere. But there's this perception that... It was okay for him to do that. That it was okay for this guy who is a DOD employee to just take it upon himself without permission, okay, and just give these videos to a newspaper who then in turn gave them to to the Academy of Stars, who in turn put their watermark on them, monetized them, put them on and put them on YouTube. So this whole thing is still uh, it's still stuck in my crawl. I still don't think that it was handled correctly. When NASA gets really cool video from Mars or the moon or wherever, they post that video on their website. 
if they get video from the space station showing a UFO, they usually just blank it out and tell us it was lost in the mail. But what they don't do is send the UFO videos to Tom DeLong and let him put his watermark on it and then monetize that video. They don't do that. But the Navy did that. So something really sketchy happened there with these three videos. And the problem is, because they were so mishandled, you still see a lot of people saying, well, it was just, uh, you know, some kind of an artifact in the camera. It's not really a video. And now you have these other uh, pilots coming forward, and people are going to accuse them of trying to uh, make money off what they saw or what happened. So the whole thing becomes very clouded and very sketchy. And then when you let this for-profit or whatever that it is, uh, company to the stars just monopolize and control not just the videos but the entire uh, narrative and conversation around those videos it, it takes it, it takes it out of the UF community as a whole and then just parks it over here in this privatized UFO for-profit sector and people you know I like I said I commonly see comments saying oh you know, to the stars is going to give us disclosure, blah, blah, blah. You know, I didn't come to the mountain to be preached to by Tom DeLong. We are all individuals doing our own thing here. And if Louis Elizondo doesn't feel that the people that go to UFO conferences or the people that talk about this stuff like me or the people like you that listen to podcasts have anything valuable to say, then, you know, I return the favor. There's just been way too much secrecy about how this stuff has been handled, and there's been uh, way too much deception involved. The story has changed too many times, and I think that that article with Greenwald from the, on the Black Vault just kind of scratches the tip of the iceberg. If they can't even get their dates right, you know, and he's not even going into the chain. Of, I wish he would investigate the chain of custody surrounding these three videos. At what point were they classified? We know they were classified at some point because we have people telling us, you know, that, that came out afterwards saying, well, we can't show you the original slides or the original radar images because they're just so high def, so so perfect that, you know, it would be, it, it, it would, uh, be a threat to national security. So we know they had to have been at some level classified. I mean, I'm quite certain that nobody could just walk in there and get those videos out of those jet airplanes without permission but somebody got them and somebody sent them to the new york times and i think that's a pretty simple question to ask who sent those things to the new york times we're not getting any answers on that all we're being told is don't talk to us about aliens and i really don't have time to listen to anything you have to say hey but turn on the history channel and watch my really cool slick new ufo series anyway that's my little my little rant about that but you can find everything, like I said, at the at the website ufowarning.com. Lots of cool articles. There are some cool videos that are posted embedded there you can watch. And uh, it's a good place to get a heads up on some of this stuff. Until next time, this is UFO Warning, over and out.